it looks like we piqued your interest in the hideout. First of all, let me tell you what the hideout is not. The hideout is not for hustlers, for grinders, or for people who are looking for a shortcut to what the world calls success. The hideout is about growing as men, creating lifelong friendships, and having the time of our lives. Are you ready to tap in to the endless source that will take you from success to significance? The hideout is two and a half days of hiking, biking, and doing the little things that it takes to create lifelong friendships. I find that joy is nothing more than falling in love with your current circumstances and allowing magic to happen. And that's when we see growth in every area of your life. Have you accomplished your goals professionally and financially and you still thirst for something more? Has success in these areas come at the expense of far more valuable things like your family, your children, and your relationships? Alignment in business, strategic partnerships, and joint ventures all come from true relationships. The Hideout is designed to get to know people before you'll ever meet them. This is not your typical mastermind. The Hideout is focused on the one thing that will fuel everything, joy. And when joy is overflowing in your life, you'll find growth in your marriage, your relationships, and oh yeah, your business. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas podcast where attitude is everything. On today's show, you're going to be uh, your mind's going to be blown. You're going to have no more excuses in life. Um, and whatever you if you if you didn't get your coffee this morning, you're going to uh, think that that's not that big of a deal because this young lady makes everything not a big deal because what she has been through and what she's going through right now. Um, for those of you who just saw the commercial about the hideout, I know, I know, I know. It said September 23rd through the 25th. It just happened. And I've never seen a mastermind like this where every single person is sold out. And we, we only allow 12 people to come. But I've never seen a place where every single person was transformed. And when this, uh, this, this uh, weekend took place, it, I've just been on a high sense. It is incredible. Uh, people ask me, like, how do, how do you sell it? I don't sell it. People know that they need it. And so it's been so amazing. Um, but it's my honor to have this young lady on the show today. And um, I, I was just blown away by her. I got a chance to meet her. I heard her story probably five seconds before I met her in person. And generally when you hear a story about uh, the, the trials and tribulations and the attitude that a person takes into something, you meet them and you're kind of like, oh, wow, I, I heard about this superhero. And then you meet the person and you're like, okay, all right. But I heard her story and I was floored and I wanted to meet her. Five seconds later, I meet her and she's even better than the story. And to be able to see the story of uh, the love of her and her husband with, uh, with, her, uh, you know, with the whole family um, is, is unbelievable. Started off as a hairstylist um, at 16 years old, um, was quickly jumped into the highest realms in the uh, professional beauty industry, and then got hit with a couple of uh, you know, blows that a lot of times would take people out. Um, rheumatoid arthritis was one of them. There's one that I'm going to see if I can get it uh, out right now, which is anti-philosophlipid. Uh, uh, it's a blood disease, and a lot of people call it AD. Am I correct? Is it AD? AD? AP. AP. But 
this young lady is going to absolutely blow your mind with not only the things that she's going through because it's not about a pity party for her. It's about her looking and saying, where's the opportunity in this and how can I spread love and help people to be able to see their lives from a completely different realm. So please welcome Miss Chelsea Kiefer to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Well, it's it's incredible to be able to talk because, you know, 16 years old. I mean, number one, how, how Chelsea, at 16 years old, how do you even know what you want to do? Like most people you at know. 16 are thinking maybe McDonald's or whatever, and that's not a bad route. But I'm saying like you jumped right into what you're passionate about. Yeah, so I started working at a coffee shop when I was 15 and um, – I had told you personally, but I grew up in a very less fortunate household. Um, my dad was the only one that worked and um, we had six kids in the family. So there was eight of us, you know, living in a very small home. And it was, if you wanted something, you had to pay for it yourself. You had to figure out a way to pay for it yourself. And um, I knew I wanted to do hair since I was like six years old. Like I just knew. And so, um, when I got into high school, I was 15. I started working at a coffee shop on a worker's permit. And I was working full time as a 15 year old, over 30 hours a week going to school and working. And um, I knew I wanted to go to cosmetology school. The opportunity came where they had it through an ROP program at my high school. And I went to my dad and basically was like, this is what I wanna do. Um, my dad, of course, wanted me to do something bigger and better with my life. He wanted me to become a nurse or, you know, something that was higher paying. And um, yeah, so but I was just like, you know, I just even if I do end up becoming a nurse or, you know, a better job that you expect me uh, to have, at least I have this under my belt. Like, at least I have it. So that's how I kind of convinced him to let me do it. So he signed all the papers paid, I think it was like $1,800 to do through the ROP program because you had to buy the kit and everything, which I feel bad saying because I know so many women who <laughs> go to cosmetology school now and it's like 40 grand. Um, but yeah, did it. It was, I got my license when I was 18. Um, yeah. So I didn't you, take what, it seriously though until I was in my twenties. Okay. So at 18 years old, you jump into, it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of one of those things you do. You're not like completely all in on it, but it's amazing to see the meteoric rise, you know, the education that you jumped into because being in the professional beauty industry, I came from Lompoc, California. Shout out to that town. If, if all my, all, all the people that are listening that know me, um, Lompoc is very, very close to my heart and, but I, I similar path, right? So you know, it wasn't something that people saw as, uh, you know, a viable option. Um, it was kind of like, oh, that's cute, like pat you on the head, except for my friends. They mm -hmm. really um, they really helped me. What changed around that 20-year-old time or into your 20s that uh, you started to go and then you started to see a whole different realm? So I moved to Stockton um, when I was 20, and um, I moved to Stockton with my ex, who I had been with since I was 15. Um, he was like my high school sweetheart. Uh, moved to Stockton because he was going to college here and I started working at Pomp. I just walked in and asked if they were hiring. They had just opened the salon just six weeks prior and, you know, they were like, yeah, like show us what you can do basically. And 
mind you, I had been doing hair on family and friends and, you know, a couple of referral clients here and there, but it wasn't anything, like I said, I was taking too seriously. Um, but I always had this really good talent for it. So even though I didn't know a whole lot, I, you know, they immediately saw like what I had potential to do. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I started working there and then just basically if anybody knows Pomp and Dino who owns Pomp and Vicky, they are some of the most encouraging people you could ever meet. Um, Dino, man, if, if, if you don't have it, he, you know, he just sees, he sees through people. He just is a very good person to read people and he saw something in me. So um, he pushed me really, really hard. I think I spent like, golly, 70 hours a week in the salon. I was there seven days a week from 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. every single day, um, just building and grinding and, you know, trying to build a clientele. I was off the commission program very quickly. Um, and I had a client full clientele within, you know, the first year I was, you know, making $70,000 in a year of doing hair. So talk to us too, uh, because a lot of times, you know, people will encourage, but they do sideways compliments. And I experienced this in the professional beauty industry, meaning that they'll do a sideways compliment. They're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. It'll be good for you to have something to fall back on. Um, right. Can you talk to the audience out there and, and the people out there that um, maybe have a hairdresser in their family um, or their child is a hairdresser or they're thinking about doing it? What are some of the things that you wish that you would have heard from your dad, from your uncle, from your friend when you were going into this thing, when you were going after it in the first place? Do you know what? I don't know if I would have wanted to hear anything different because I feel like it lit a fire in me to make sure that I was successful in it. Um, I wanted to like prove that it wasn't just gum smacking career that we just chit chat all day. Like I wanted to prove that, you know, hairdressers are, there's something really meaningful behind it and that we're right. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know where the stigma came from that hairdressers are like, oh, they are, you know, high school dropouts and they went and got their cosmetology license. I personally, to be honest, I, I feel like that helped encourage me, if anything, to um, prove them wrong. So, um, so, so a question that I have for you, uh, Chelsea, is yeah. a lot of times when a, a young lady grows up in, a, in, a, in an environment like you do, right? You have five siblings, so there's six kids total. Um, we can say that you probably didn't grow up in Beverly Hills. Uh, you know what I mean? And so no. when, you're, when you're going through those things, what, and this is a question that I, I always runs through my mind because I have a young daughter. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times young ladies like yourself will make really silly decisions as far as boys in your life um, early on. And what are some of the ways that we can circumvent that? Like as a dad, for all the dads out there listening, what can we do? How can we encourage our daughter? Or is there anything we're gonna, can, that we can do? Or are you guys just going to choose boneheaded dudes anyway when you're young? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's another one. Um, we learn. I, I, I feel like we do. There's a, I mean, obviously, you don't want to choose people who are super abusive and things like that. But um, it makes me appreciate my husband so much more because of the relationships I've had in the past. Um, I thankfully never gotten into anything 
too crazy. I have some friends who are still in almost in their 30s who are still trying to find the right person and they have picked crazy, you know, boneheads where I'm kind of like, what are you doing? Um, but I'd say just, um, I, I mean, just be as supportive of a parent as possible for those, you know, for those young girls because they need their dads. They need the advice and the, the hand held, you know, at their dads to get them through those types of situations. Um, and I'd say um, for the parents to, you know, let them make some bad choices because really you learn. I mean, I, I'm so thankful and grateful that I learned in my earlier years and here I am almost 30 and I'm happily married and I can truly say that I'm happily married. I know um, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, Instagram makes them look perfect. But, um, but I, I mean, I'll be honest, of course, my husband and I will have our ups and downs, but I'm happy. And um, I don't know that had I gone through the relationship that I went through prior, I don't know that I would appreciate my husband as much as I do. So, um, yeah. So what is, I mean, help, help me from a, cause I'm not a woman. I've been around women yeah. for my whole entire career, but what is it like? I mean, when you even said that statement, like if you didn't have a, a little bit, you know, I mean, you, you alluded to the fact that you had some boneheads, right? And you were like, mm-hmm. they weren't as much bonehead as some of my friends, but let's, let's be real. They were still boneheads and they yeah. helped you to appreciate your husband. Like, but like on the flip side of it, when you have a nice guy, why is it that young women are like pass the nice dude by and then go for the dude who's going to not treat him well, like help a brother out here. Know. I really don't know. I, I don't know. I ask that of my friends all the time. I'm like, this guy, he's so nice and he's cute. And, um, I I feel like, I mean, men too, but women have these checklists of things that they want, you know, checked off. And if every single one of them isn't checked off properly, then the guy's not right for them. And I'm like, you know, you, you have to be a little flexible Um, you can't just have Prince Charming come to you on this, you know, silver platter. It's just not the way life works. I think maybe the way I grew up, maybe that's why I, I saw like such good in my husband. I mean, my husband was not perfect when we actually met, he was, um, still battling with his struggles of, um, becoming sober when I was just doing his hair, um, he was my client for two and a half years and in the middle of me doing his hair probably a year and a half into it um he stopped coming to me for a while and I was like what the heck I wonder where Miles has been and little did I know that he actually had to go back into sober living so my husband's been sober for almost seven and a half years now and um so proud of him for that yeah that's huge um you know my husband's uh guilty pleasure was alcohol, but also he did other things too, you know, um, other drugs. Uh, I know he was on the whole cocaine thing when he drank, he did cocaine. And, um, and then he said that he's experimented with basically everything. Um, so it's a really crazy, I don't know, really crazy disease and it's a, you know, but he's got it all figured out. Um, but he wasn't perfect, you know, and I think um, that he was so honest with me when we first got together and started dating. And even just beforehand, when we became friends, as he was my client, I think I just fell in love with how honest and open he was. Um, 
and I think it has a lot to do with the way I was raised. My mom was in and out of my life, my entire life, and was with so many boneheads um, who abused my brother and I when I was super little. I was my daughter's age when we got taken away from my mom. Um, yeah, it's just, I think I learned from that. And I don't think, I think a lot of girls who were my age, who I was actually friends with, came from very cush lives, you know, compared to mine. And they maybe had picture perfect parents. And so they didn't get the opportunity to see what kind of boneheads were out there. So they had to learn, like, like I said, I feel like I'm a different breed of girl because I did have a, you know, a boyfriend for um, almost eight years before my husband and I got together. And um, yeah, he definitely was, a, a, you know, a little bit abusive and things like that. But um, definitely not what some of my friends have been with. So I'm very blessed that um, I maybe learned from my parents. So take us down this road, because I think a lot sure. of, uh, if you don't mind, if we if we stay on this subject for a second, is because abuse is not something that a lot of people talk about, right? I mean, we're starting to talk about it a little bit more as a society, but um, a lot of times it's like you'll watch a movie, right? And you'll watch a movie and a woman is being abused and she stays in it. And even with what you just said, you just said, he was abusing me, but it wasn't that much. Mm-hmm. Help us to understand the, the justification that goes through the mind and what, what you're going through, because a lot of times people don't have that empathy for a person. They're just like, I can't believe they're being abused. Why don't they just tell that person to, the first time I'm out? And, but a lot of times when they get in that situation, it doesn't, that doesn't ring true. And, right. but, but again, it's not a conversation that a lot of people have. Cause it's not, I mean, it's not like we're going to be at Starbucks in line. I'm going to be like, hi, Chelsea, my name is Kelly. Uh, you know, I've been abused. And then we talk about it. Like you have to be in safe spots to be able to do it. Um, but can you help us take, or take us into that psyche where, and I want to go right to that comment as far as he was abusing me, but it wasn't that much. What is not that much? So when we started dating, when I was 15, um, right off the bat, the first year, he was going back and forth between me and his ex, who he had dated for like a year prior to him getting together with me. And uh, right before we had started dating, his dad had passed away when we were in high school. So I just, you know, I've always been a huge Christian. Um, I've always gone to Sunday school, Wednesdays, um, in the middle of the week, I'd always go to, you know, um, Bible studies and then go to Sunday school on Sundays. So I've always been a good Christian and a big, I have a big heart and I've always wanted to see the better in people and give them, you know, second chance, third chance. But, you know, I just want to, I want to um, give them the benefit of the doubt, but also that led me to be a pushover. And I definitely know that. <laughs> um, so, so we're together 15. His dad had just passed away before we got together and he was kind of switching between the first year of our our relationship dating me and his ex and whenever i'd find out you know it was my dad just died or you know things like that and so then you know my heart is like sank for him and i'd be like okay okay just don't let it happen again kind of thing so that went on for a little bit and then he was like really good and really nice and things and um 
things seemed to be really good. He left for college. Um, he was a year older than I, so I was still in school. He left for college and then would come back and visit me every weekend and seemed really good. I was building this trust back for, you know, with him. Um, by this time we had been together for a few years and then I caught him again. Well, my, one of my best friends saw him with the ex and this is years later and we had moved in together and everything. We had just signed a year lease together. And I was just like, what in the world? Like we were literally at our housewarming party when my best friend was like, hey, I need to tell you something. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was just like a joke. And I, you know, at this point it's been a few years. I'm like, you can't use the excuse of, you know, your dad passing. So basically he once again convinced me i feel like i had been put in this like rock and hard place where we had just signed this year lease i'm 18 19 years old and i just felt like i needed to you know figure it out um so we stayed together and things seemed good i you know uh would periodically check his phone because i was insecure and everything like that things were good i never caught anything and there, um, then we moved to Stockton because he was still going to school to stop uh, at UOP, and he um, he was tired of the commute, and I was there was nothing holding me back, um, so I moved to Stockton, started working at Pomp, and shortly after we ended up getting engaged, and in between I had caught him once we moved to Stockton, I had caught him you know texting other girls, but it wasn't. It wasn't like crossing the line. It was just like he'd lie about texting other girls and that would make me upset more than him actually texting them. I'm like, why can't, why do you have to hide things? Just like, be honest. I'm texting a girl from my group that we're doing a project together, you know, things like that. He would just be really sketchy about. And, um, you know, I gave him the benefit of the doubt, like, okay, you, you've cheated on me in the past. So you're probably just protecting my feelings. So uh, um, that's probably why you're hiding it. But of course, that's why I'm, I'm telling myself to make me feel better about it. Right. And so again, being a pushover, I'm just like, okay, don't overreact. Don't overreact. Don't be that crazy girlfriend. That's mad because he has a project with a girl. And but then, you know, things started happening again, where, um, you know, I, catch him kind of crossing the line with girls, um, giving a girl ride and things like that. And just things started getting sketchy. And I'm like, Oh, you've been giving this girl a ride for six months. And I had no idea just like weird things. You know, it's like, we've been together for over six and a half years. You shouldn't have to hide that kind of stuff from me. Um, so there's just like things that were like starting to get a little rocky. Well, he started experimenting and he would, he would never tell me straight up, but like, I, by this time I'm old enough to know things are getting sent to the house and he's at the gym for four hours a day and he's doing steroids, but he never would tell me that he's doing them. Um, but you know, like our sex life went completely like we went probably a year and a half without having any sort of intimacy. So we were like, I'm like, who is in their early twenties? Not, you know, it just like didn't seem right. Something was definitely off. Um, I found a pair of underwear in our spare bedroom and I, I confronted him about it. And he said that they were his sisters that when she spent the night and I'm like, well, she spent the night in the other spare room. So that doesn't connect. But and I would never go in that spare room. So I think it's something he knew. So just like 
things just started happening. I started kind of taking myself out of the relationship mentally. I was just focusing so hard on building my career at Pomp at this point that I was kind of like falling out of love with him because of just, I was just over it. And I'm like, he's just never going to change. And, um, you know, when we got together in high school, he was the scrawny, like kind of not nerdy, but kind of, and that's kind of like who I'm attracted to are like the kind of like nerdier like guys. And then suddenly like we're getting into our twenties and he's just jacked and, you know, got a big head and he's, you know, his ego's growing and just like things just for me started to be not what I was attracted to in Uh a person. Um, He didn't believe in God, which is a huge thing for me. And that's had always been a struggle for me from the beginning, because obviously, well, I had found out I was pregnant and we were living in Stockton. And this is one thing that turned me completely like I was like, this is not the man that I want to be, first of all, married to, second of all, the father of my children one day. He... I I took a test. We were at his mom's house, I remember, and I took a test and I was hiding it from him because I was like so nervous and we were literally just about ready to leave to head to the Bay Area to go visit his mom. And so I put the test in my purse to so it can like take its whatever 4 minutes or whatever to uh, read. And so I put it in my purse and we jump in the truck and we're leaving and I kind of keep peeking in my purse. And you know, cheaters are really if they're cheating they're usually like overcompensating their um you know they're like wanting to check your phone a lot and things like that and so he was always like that so he's like why do you keep checking your phone like he was like really and i'm like i'm not checking my phone i'm looking at something else well what are you looking at and i'm like nothing like i didn't want to tell him yet and i had seen it was positive and i just didn't want to talk to him about it yet because i knew he would freak out i just knew and, and not in a good way. <laughs> and so I'm just trying to hide it from him. And finally, he rips what uh, the test out of my hand. He like grabs my purse and rips the test out. And he's reading it as he's driving. And he rolls the window down, throws the test out the window, and starts driving so fast. I mean, I bet I, I don't even know how fast I thought we were going to die over 100 miles an hour from all the way from Sonora to the Bay Area. And he calls his mom. And he's like, I need you to call um, a clinic and get Chelsea and she needs an abortion. Like not talking to me the entire time. Not didn't he 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 wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't even hear me out Wouldn't anything like it was I, I just sat there like froze praying to God that we make it there because he's driving so crazy. And I mean, the way he reacted, I just remember feeling so disgusted that I even was with him or like let myself be with somebody like that. Like, who doesn't even talk to you about something that's going on inside of your own body? Um, And it's not like we just had a one night stand. Like at this point, we had been together for like almost seven years. It was right before um, we ended up getting engaged the last year we were together and that was more so when he proposed it was in front of friends and stuff and i just felt like i couldn't say no and i was already planning my escape before we were uh engaged and i think he sensed that and kind of it was his like last uh 
Hell's Mary or whatever you call it in football <laughs> to like keep me around, you know? So anyway, after that situation with the whole baby thing, we go to the clinic. I get there. Mind you, still hasn't talked to me about it. He like literally drags me into the clinic and I start just bleeding as soon as we walk in. I think the stress of it, I'm pretty sure I held my breath most of the way to the drive, but I just started bleeding. And I think I was about eight weeks or so. Um, and that's what the doctor had said too. But I don't know if it was the stress of the whole moment of that day or what, but I, I just immediately had a miscarriage that day. And um, so I didn't end up needing um, an abortion, which I, I personally wouldn't have gotten anyways. I would have just, you know, figured it out on my own. But uh, that was sort of, I think, definitely God's way of making sure that he was not going to have to be in my life. Um but I can't even believe I look back and I'm like that right there, you know, even though he wasn't physically hitting me, that was so abusive. Like if some, if a man was with my daughter and treated her like that, like how sick, you know? Mm-hmm. So physical abuse didn't start until about the last year we were together when we were engaged. And, um, you know, he, he was starting to get kind of pushy and shovey. There was um, this time we got in an argument and he, he never fully punched me or anything like that. But he was getting, you know, definitely like chesty with me and would kind of grab me and things like that and push me. Um, one time he pushed me and I kind of turned to get away from him and I hit the wall and got a little bit of a fat lip and went to work the next day. And this was my moment of, I got a little fat lip. No, he didn't punch me. But the whole thing happened because of the way he was grabbing me and kind of shoving me and I was trying to get away from him. And um, that dawned on me. My dad was a sheriff growing up. Um, He was hardly home because my dad and my stepmom did not get along at all. So my dad was always gone, always. And um, so that was really hard because my stepmom was, um, you know, not like the nicest. She definitely took us to the sports that we needed to be at and things like that. But my dad just was not around a lot. He kept the roof over our heads and kept, you know, us fed. But um, it's one thing that I do look back and I just wish my dad would have been there a tiny bit more. But um, my dad being his line of work, it just really dawned on me. I was like, I've heard stories like this and I've heard how fast uh, girl they stay and how fast it can go bad and here I am and what am I doing you know what am I doing so that was kind of the last straw was um, that that instant um, he had broken my phone in another fight and he wouldn't let me call anyone and he basically like held me at the house and when I told my dad that my dad's like he could have been arrested like he basically kept you from leaving he broke shattered your phone um, there was just like things that were, that were starting to get kind of scary. Um, so when I say, no, he wasn't that abusive as far as physically, yes, it did get physical a little bit, but it was never full, you know, closed fist punches. I never had like big black eyes or anything like that. That one mark on my lip, I had to, I went to work and somebody asked, Oh, what happened to your lip? And I, I made up a lie. And that was what hit me. I was like, I am stupid woman, stupid woman. Like I'm making up a lie to protect this guy. 
And that's when I called my dad because I hadn't told my family a thing. My family all loved him. And I was like, the moment I call my dad and my brothers and my brother-in-laws, because at this point, my sisters are older and they're married. The moment I tell them, they will not let me go back to that house without coming back out with my stuff. So that was my out. That was the way I handled it. I was like, do you know what? I went and stayed in a hotel for like five days, called my family. My dad said, you get in a hotel, you go to work and only go back to the hotel. And we, this weekend, we'll come and pick up all your stuff. And um, so that's what I did. And my ex, you know, uh, told me that he had trackers in the dogs. So I couldn't, if you take the dogs, I'll be able to find you and things like that. So I was scared of him. I didn't take our dogs, which were like my babies. We have two dogs. Um, you know, of course I look back, but I think I was just in such a scared moment that I was like, oh my gosh, what if he did, you know? And, um, it just was so crazy. The, the ending of it was definitely not healthy, but, um, but my husband is a huge Christian, especially after he got sober. Um, that right there was a huge thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also my ex drank a lot uh-huh. and my husband being sober. Yes, of course we have, it's a disease, people having, you know, uh, addiction issues and there's always the chance of him relapsing, but um, I have so much faith in him. He is such a such a good man that I just don't see that ever happening like he just knows he's like no it's like it's like he always compares it to my disease like what if you stop taking your medications you would die he's like I literally cannot drink because it will kill me like he just knows so I I just he's just different than the rest so I just yeah my husband's just amazing. But um, that was my relationship with my ex. It was it was a lot of weekends where he just focused on drinking. That's all he cared about was, uh, what are we doing this weekend? We're drinking, we're getting wasted. And he would drink and drive with me and I would never be able to feel like I could you know, get out or say, no, I don't wanna go with you. I literally had instances where I was with my ex and he would vomit while driving like that drunk wow. and I didn't feel like I could get out. He wouldn't let me get out even if I wanted to. So, so Chelsea, it's tell, not me, healthy. tell me this, Chelsea is like, yeah. if you were to now, now, like, and it's going to be amazing because all of us listening, like with me listening and, and listening to this, hearing that statement at first, right. Of like, he wasn't that abusive. And then you just went through your relationship and I was like, no, his ass was abusive the whole entire time. Like the whole entire time. I mean, he cheated on you, then cheated on you, then cheated on you, then almost forced you to get an abortion and then put his hands on you. Like, to me, that's punishable by by death. Like that's, I mean, I'm a father and, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm very thankful for your dad being calm, cool, collective and getting you out of the situation. Can you talk to the young ladies out there? I would like you to look into the camera. I want you to talk to the young ladies out there that are starting to see anything, anything like even the slightest bit of a, of a sign, because there was a lot of signs there, right? And from yeah, the outside, yeah. not, I, I'm not judging you. I'm not looking at, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying like, as a young lady, when the first stuff starts to happen, you're like 18, you guys just got an apartment. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? You're going to go get your own. This is tough. They, these are tough decisions, but can you talk to that young lady out there that is seeing even the inkling in the beginning and what they should do? 
if they start to see it? You know what? I'm actually thankful that you're having me hash this all out. I haven't talked about it in a long time. And I've always said, um, I've always said that like, oh, it wasn't that abusive. It wasn't. But now that I'm talking about it, I'm putting myself as a mother in, in like my, if my daughter were to go through all that, that I just now talked about, I would have, um, I would kill the guy, you know? And so, yeah, no, it's, I definitely was in a very abusive relationship. I, I don't know why I sugarcoated it. Um, basically, the signs that I would say would be huge red flags is if they're secretive with their phone, huge red flag. Um, if they are drinking too much and when they drink and they get, uh, they change, completely change, huge red flag. Like if they're a completely different person, like there's a difference between so having a social drink or two and just hanging out with friends or just like focusing on getting wasted and blacked out and like, you know, and then their attitudes and like they're completely different people. Um, and just honestly, if you truly feel like there's something going on in your gut that just doesn't feel right, that follow that because um, I should have followed it so long before. Um, I mean, I'm grateful I didn't because he brought me to Stockton and he brought me to where I met my husband, you know, but, um, but I'm just so grateful for what, what would you say to a young lady out there? Like, you know, that's in that, in a spot like that and they're thinking, and, and because I can't wait for you to go back and listen to the episode. Like I yeah. cannot wait for you to go back and listen to it because when you started to go in, as you started to go in, you were justifying every single time, like yeah, every single time that you said an instance, you were like, but it was this. And I understand it again. It's not a judgment side. I just get to experience it and see it from the outside. I'm not emotionally connected right. to it, but the, the little girl that is emotionally connected to the, to the relationship, can you talk to her? What's the first thing that that la young lady should do? Like actionable um, because if they're in a place where maybe they're living with their boyfriend and they see that little thing happen and they're scared because maybe they don't make enough to get their own apartment or they live in a different city first of all I would tell all you ladies don't move in with your boyfriend that is going to be a very 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 controversial thing that I'll say but I can tell you this don't move in with your boyfriend because it's not we until it's we. Like I can tell you from a guy's standpoint and from everyone out there, and I don't get that passionate about this, but I got a 13-year-old daughter. And so mm -hmm. what would you say, Chelsea, would be the first actionable? Like what should that girl do? Should she call who? Should she call her dad? Should she call her mom? Should she call the police? Should she call who to be able to start to get this thing rolling? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can't wait to go back and listen to this either because <laughs> – I, here I am. I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm not a pushover anymore. <laughs> this is what therapy is for. Um, I would call, yeah, whoever's the strong one in your family. Like my dad for me is that person that I can like go to and my brothers. So I would call those people who will not let you change your mind or who will not let you talk yourself out of or, um, you know, try and convince yourself that it wasn't so bad or things like that. Yeah, I would talk to the people who obviously love you the most because they want the best for you. So um, those are the, the ones that I would immediately contact and 
and don't make excuses for the sons of a bees. <laughs> <laughs> well, and when I get when I get fiery about it, the reason why I say it is because, you know, I grew up in abuse. You know, I grew up yeah. with with abuse all around me and I and I seen the stuff and there was a lot of justification. And I understand it. There's times where like either I've taken uh, you know, I've taken abuse or I've inflicted it and I've justified these things. And I just want every person out there. I mean, reach out to Chelsea though, too, like reach out and have a conversation with her because she's been through it. Let's shift gears for a second here because your attitude is so incredible, infectious, your attitude, (laughs) even in you talking about being abused, you were like, it's not that bad. I got a positive (laughs) attitude about it. So Chelsea, talk to us about the dark side of having a positive attitude. Right. And when I say this, I'll, I'll give you an example. My brother told me that um, that uh, my perseverance was sometimes my uh, greatest uh, uh, weapon against myself. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, what do you mean? I could push through anything. He said, yeah, but there's things that you try and push through that you need to step out of the ring and not take the beating. Can you talk mm-hmm. to us about the dark side of having a positive attitude? Because a lot of times when you have that, you know, glasses half full type of situation, then you, I mean, you just gave a glass half full situation in a situation that when we listened to as listeners, we were like, there wasn't any water in the glass. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, <sighs> and, and let me remind you too, Chelsea, before we started, you said nothing was off limits. And I love this because this is a real conversation. We did not script right. this. This was not, no. I, I, did I send you any questions before the podcast started? <laughs> no. no. Uh-uh. And nope. for, for all of you listening, this is a real conversation with a young lady who has overcome so many different things. And we haven't even got into the part that, that we're going to get into here in a second, but what would you say about the dark side of of positivity? Dark side of positivity. I it's such a hard that's honestly hard to I just recently in the last year since my I had my stroke in April, um, have dealt with depression for the first time in my entire life. I mean there's been times, you know, where I've been sad and things like that, but I don't think I would truly say that I had a depression or anxiety until this last year. Um, and it is true. I definitely brush it under the rug for people. I'm not super open about it up until just recently because I do think I want to help people. Um, um, but the dark side of being so positive, I mean, I don't want to say that because this is me this is truly who I am. I'm, I've always been this very bubbly person. Um, so it's not something that it's like this front that I'm putting on. Um, but I do think it helps me cope a little bit, trying to be a little bit more bubbly and things like that. Um, I have always, there was this quote and I don't know who it's from, but uh, basically it's something that I just keep in my head constantly. And it's um, it's not about, you know, what happens to you, it's about how you handle it and how, how you go forward. So you can have really, really bad stuff happen all the time. And it's not about that stuff. It's about how you turn around and what you do with it. And so that's kind of what I live by. And basically, I just want to turn all of the evil and negative and 
things that I've been through into something that I can share and hopefully enlighten other people. Cause even though it may have almost killed me, um, a lot of different things and uh, my childhood trauma and everything that I've been through, although it, it, it even now it's coming out and I'm trying to hash it all out, even though it's things that have, you know, hurt my heart so much, if that stuff could help other people, then that's going to help rebuild maybe what's broken inside of me. Um, it's just sort of what I'm thinking. Um, but it's, 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 it's a dark, it is dark. And to have to go back to some of these places, I just started seeing a therapist after my stroke. Um, and I'm seeing a childhood trauma therapist because I did have so much childhood trauma. I've never uh, wanted to rehash it. There's things that are coming up now that my daughter's about the age where a lot of the really bad things that happened to me started happening. So I think that's another reason why maybe the depression and anxiety are at all time high for me. Um, she's four and a half. She'll, well, she'll be five actually this month, she's, <laughs> which is crazy. But um, <laughs> I have a five-year-old. Um, but she's the age where that I was when I started having sexual abuse happen to me. And so, um, and you know, I don't trust, I didn't trust a lot of people for the longest time because, uh, both male and female, because when I was four is when I started having, um, getting molested by a girl, by a woman. Do you so, remember, like at four years old, do you remember this stuff or did it go into this subconscious memory bank and then it pulled up later? No, that stuff I remember completely vividly. And that that happened from the age of four to about nine. It happened every couple of months, basically, whenever this lady, you know, person would come around. And I would always be like, let's go play in your room. And I just wouldn't want to, but it, you know, I'd follow her and she'd grab my hand and it would go happen. Um and then when I was 10, I, um, at my aunt and uncle's wedding got, um, and this is so sick too, because this is me again, making excuses for somebody who abused me, but my great uncle, um, you know, I'm like, oh, he was really, really drunk. It was at a wedding and he got really, really intoxicated, but he molested me when I was 10 and that I remembered happening, but until I got um, just a few years ago, something, I don't know what it was, but something came up and I just suddenly remembered every detail. I remember him smelling like whiskey, like on his breath and cigarettes. And I remember the dress, I, I remember wearing a blue dress that had like these layers of ruffles going down it. And I remember I remember everything. I remember the feeling of like I was going to vomit because I was so scared, like coming up, vomit coming up. Like I remember every detail. Um, and I remember just freezing and just sitting there letting it happen, you know. Um, so it's just weird how our brains work and how as you get older, either things. And I've learned for men or for guys, because my brother doesn't remember a lot of ch our childhood trauma. And I'll talk about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, that did happen. You know, because now I'm going to therapy, I'll like bring things up slowly or periodically. And I'm like, how are, how did you handle this? Like, how, why are you so okay? You know, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm hurting him now bringing it up because now he's remembering things, but he's like, that never happened. And then I'll start talking about it. And his wife's like, holy cow, Bradley, like, why didn't you have, why haven't you ever talked about this? And he's like, oh my gosh, you're right. That all did happen. Like he's, he starts to remember it. 
So I don't know if it's a man thing where men brush those types of things, traumas under the rug and just like completely make like wash it out of their brain so that they can move on. But I remember everything. I remember things from being from when I was like two years old. I remember things which I wish I didn't. (laughs) I wish I really, really, really wish I didn't. That's why I'm so protective over my daughter because I know she's going to remember so much. I remembered everything. And she's, you know, people, adults think, oh, the the kid's young. They're not going to remember this. I'm like, no, they remember. They remember. I remember. And it's not fun. So, Chelsea, and I think too, I think going through the sexual abuse as a child um, maybe made me think my relationship with my first boyfriend, the, I think it made it seem not as bad because of what I had been through. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't abusing me sexually or anything like that. And, you know, like, so I think, I think that's why I've made so many excuses for that relationship because I'm like, Oh, it's not that bad. You know, like I've been through worse and my mom's boyfriends would um, physically abuse my brother and I were one of them was supposed to go to prison for, we got taken away. Um, my brother and I had marks from head to toe. He used, he was a correctional officer and he used his correctional officer, big, thick uh, leather belt to beat us and the metal part he just kind of blacked out and kept beating us with it. I was my daughter's age. I was four and I couldn't sit down for weeks. I had to open gashes up and down. We had, um, I was in preschool. I was my daughter's age. I was in preschool and I had a sheriff and a lady, a lawyer come and take pictures of us. My brother and I had got taken out of class and we got interviewed by a lawyer and everything. We didn't see my mom for a long time because of it. So Chelsea, how how do you how do you forgive? Because I mean, and when I'm hearing your stories, right? And we had, again, guys, we hadn't even got to the to, to the other part, right? And no. these are going to be some questions that I have for you. But how how do you begin to forgive, and how do you begin to? I mean, where where does that come from, and how how does a how does a person even construct that? Because again, I, I'm thinking in my head like. You know, first of all, um, the ex-boyfriend, um, you know, I, I have in my life, I like to keep a lot of great big friends. And I like to keep a lot of people say like, oh, if someone's doing something silly, don't have them in your life. No, I like to keep people in my life like that, just in case yeah. my daughter has a challenge, because then those people will disappear. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking with you. Some people are going to be like, oh, my God, you can't believe. But I'm joking <laughs> until I'm joking until it happens. But you're joking until you're not. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, how do you how does one begin to forgive or have you got to that point yet? I feel like I'm still learning. Um, my mom came back into my life later when I was, in, you know, later in high school. Um, and, you know, there's been so many challenges there in navigating, like, forgiveness and stuff. Um, I do feel like she's a completely different person. She's with the person I believe she's supposed to be with now, you know. Um, and I didn't realize how much until just really recently how much I – you know, I always thought my dad was like, I don't know, the best person in the world, which I still think he is, of course. But they, now I look back from my childhood and I kind of have, I do have some sort of, um, what's the word? Um, oh, why can't I think of the word? I'm having a brain fart. Uh, resentment. 
to my dad just mainly because he, I feel like he wasn't happy in his marriage. So he threw himself into work. And I feel like that um, allowed us to not maybe be watched as well. Like, um, yeah. So I, I, there's like some sort of resentment there. I'm trying to like hash out. And my dad doesn't even know about that, actually. So hopefully he doesn't watch those podcasts. Uh, well, um. I'm going to send it to him. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, just, I'm just kidding with you. So let's stay, let's stay on that subject because the forgiveness yeah. part and the grace part, right? You've talked about your relationship with the Lord. And it's almost, I mean, like... Okay, you go through what you've gone through. And this is a, I mean, from, uh, you know, physical and sexual abuse at a very early age. Then it happens again at 10. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's other things, you know. Then you get into some relationships. You get into the not-so-abusive relationship, right? And I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing at that. I'm just talking about the irony of the statement. Irony of it, yeah. Okay. Then we go through. We get to a point where you're almost forced to get an abortion. You, you, you The stress is so large that, you know, you basically have, you know, you have a miscarriage right then, which is, I mean, a blessing, right? Mm-hmm. And you go through all these things and, and then you find hairdressing, you start getting into it, you start, you know, elevating at this level and then lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, alpha, tell me it. Anti-philosophlipid syndrome. Anti-philosophlipid syndrome. Okay. I'm going to be petty here. If I was you. I would be mad at God and you aren't like you're this light, like you're this light and love and you're like this grace and you want to share it with other people. A lot of people would be like, man, can't she get a break? How do you continue to, I mean, to do that? And how is it that you're not like in God's face, grabbing a hold of his shirt, being like, why don't you just give me a break, bro? Like, you know what I mean? Or if you see him as, you know, sweet baby Jesus with wings or however you see Jesus, you know what I mean? I like mine with wings and I think he has a great personality and, and great, you know, he has great humor and he's sarcastic and, you know, he smacks me upside the head. He's like, boy, what are you doing? That's the kind of Jesus that I see. Uh, But like, what's your conversation with God like? Um, maybe on my really bad days when I, when I have my lupus flare-ups and I can barely move because that happens about once a, once a month for like three or four days, I'm like bedridden, um, when I'm having pretty bad flare-ups, but maybe those days I'm like, come on, like, what is, you know, what's, what is this? Like on my days where I feel really good, I'm just like so thankful that I'm not having a flare-up. So, um, but it's just... I definitely have those days. I don't want to sit here and pretend to be like, life's great. Everything's great. I'm bubbling. And Chelsea, the thing that I forgot to mention is that you just had a stroke recently too. So yeah. you're 29 years old, rheumatoid, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, uh, anti-philosophlipid, got it? Um, mm-hmm. We've got this. And there's, there's other things. Then on top of that, you have a stroke and you have a five-year-old daughter. I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. When I was in the rehab facility, because um, so I, I got, you know, flown from the hospital here in Stockton when I was having the stroke to a stroke uh, specialty hospital. I got metaflighted there. I was in their ICU for about five days. And then once I was stable, they put me down to like just the uh, general uh, stroke uh, stay. 
And I did a rehab there for about a week before they were able to get my insurance approved to send me to a long-term rehab. So I got transferred from that hospital to the Lodi Memorial Acute Rehab, which is where I did my therapy for the stroke. So I was on the floor with, um, there's probably about eight other stroke patients, um, all over the age of 50. (laughs) And um, most of them were men. There was only one other lady. And basically, um, you know, when I was in there, what helped me get through was like actually uh, just diving into TikTok and doing TikTok lives to kind of keep my mind busy. Um, even when I wasn't really even talking that well, because hold, hold on, TikTok helped you out with a stroke. Like TikTok, <laughs> TikTok is universal. Then, like, I know. tell I know. me how TikTok helped you, helped you. Like, and what I'm saying is, when I'm when I'm, uh, you know, it's it's the irony. I'm not laughing like ha ha ha. You had a stroke. I'm laughing. But, but I'm, I'm saying like most people would be like, I found God. I read the Quran. You know what I'm saying? I read the I read the Bible. He really spoke to me. And you were like, TikTok was the TikTok. thing. Help help well, a brother out with this. I did read the Bible and I read um, you know, this daily uh Bible book and everything that helped me get through. <laughs> but but I just like just to keep my mind busy and stuff, I would go on and just like play games with other people on TikTok, like just to keep busy. Cause I'm in this place and I could only have a few visitors at a time. Cause there was like a small spike in COVID during that time. So they weren't allowing, like my daughter wasn't able to come and see me for a while. Like I was, I was in the hospital for over a month and I was only able to see my daughter outside for 15 minutes to two days. And I was there for mother's day. So that was super difficult. Um, but my daughter got to see me take a couple of my first real, real steps. So that was super cool. I wanted, uh, they told me not to, because I had already did rehab a few hours before. And I was like, had pushed rehab super hard, but I was like, no, I want to show her that I'm here getting stronger for her. And so there's a video of me taking a few steps and I'm pretty sure I probably freaked her out because I was making crazy facial expressions. (laughs) Now that I look back at the video, I'm like, she probably thought I was like dying, but I was working really hard. So, so mo- most people, unless you experience it, you don't know what it's like. Can you explain to us what rheumatoid is like? Can you explain to us what lupus feels like? Like explain it to a five-year-old and then explain it as, uh, to us what anti-philosophlipid, got it again. And then explain to us what a stroke feels like. So let's start off with a uh, rheumatoid. What does it feel like? If you could, if you could associate it to someone who's never, and we're not talking about doctor terms. We're talking about like, you know, real Chelsea terms. Yeah. I mean, it feels like, I feel like crap all the time. Um, my joints hurt really, really, really bad, especially like in the colder time, time of year. Um, my doctors have all suggested that we move somewhere like, somewhere like Hawaii where it stays pretty general, like, but we can't afford that. Like, there's just no way if I'm not working, you know, um, and making the income that I was making prior, there's just no way that we could afford to live somewhere like that. So, um, and where we live in California, you know, we get really, really, really hot peaks of weather and really, really cold Hmm. weather. So it's never, it's not like Southern California where it kind of generally stays like nice. Um, but basically i don't know if you can see but like my hands are starting to twist and turn um so i was gonna have to probably quit doing hair anyways probably in my 40s because i would they want they're gonna want me to have like a hand surgery soon um like you can see my pinkies Mm -hmm. twisting 
they're just everything's very knobby. Um, I get, I have like tons of fluid in my joints. Um, they said that all the last time I got my hand scanned, they said all but two fingers. So eight fingers have hairline fractures in them. And that's just from them starting to twist. Um, which they were like, have you ever been in some sort of accident or anything? And they said, that's pretty progressive for my age, um, with rheumatoid arthritis. So there's that with the, you know, and just my joints, like my elbows, my shoulders, everything cracks, everything pops, everything's just very tender, especially when it's cold. Um, so gloves are my best friend, even if it's 70 degrees outside, I'm putting leather gloves on. Mm. <laughs> I'm, we went to my daughter's soccer game the other morning and I was dressed like it was like 40 degrees. And I'm like, people are going to think I'm from like somewhere <laughs> like they're going to think I'm from like, you know, somewhere where it's really hot. Cause it was already like 80 degrees and I'm like, Ooh, like bundled up. It was super funny. Um, but just the way it is, it's progressing every, every couple of months. It feels like it's getting a little worse. Um, lupus feels like, uh, it feels like hell to be honest. Um, a lot of people have it in different ways. I have it where it can affect my kidneys and my liver and my heart and my lungs. Um, so, you know, major organs, um, it makes me feel like in my brain, um, I have seizures and I have had seizures since I was young and I never knew why I was in high school and I started having them and it's all connected to lupus. We just didn't know until I got diagnosed with lupus. Um, and it just feels like hell. It, 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 it feels like I have a really bad flu about, um, three weeks out of the month. I mean, it's, um, you know, I have my days where it's a lot worse, but I basically get a fever, a low grade fever. So like 99.5 to like 100.2 to 100.4 when I'm having my flare ups. And that's just basically my body reacting to the flare up. So I can always tell if I'm having a flare up, if I take my temperature, um, and just very achy, feel like I got whiplash, um, feel, um, Sometimes it hurts to take a deep breath. It hurts my lungs or my chest um, when I'm having a bad flare up. Very, very, very fatigued. Um, you know, just feel like you have a flu constantly that you can't get rid of. You can't, there's no medicine for it. I can take Tylenol. I can't take ibuprofen because of all the blood thinner I'm on because um, it doesn't act well with it. And I, it's unfortunate because blood, uh, or sorry, uh, ibuprofen is the only thing that for me takes like a, the edge off of pain. Um, I personally don't feel comfortable taking pain meds that are stronger than like Tylenol. So I just try and deal with it. Um, mainly because my mom, uh, you know, had kind of issues with pills. So it just kind of, I just don't feel good about that. So, um, so Tylenol it is, and I just try and stay up on it, but also, you know, drink lots of water and do things to like kind of flush my system, green teas and, things like that is what I've been trying to do. Um, hair loss, I've been having chunks of hair falling out the last couple of weeks, actually. So I'm like, looking at those pixies don't look too bad right now <laughs> for me. But um, yeah, just things. Uh, what about what about the, the anti-philosophlipid? Do you did you feel that or that they, they found that that was a lot of the cause of the things that were happening? 
So last year, over a year ago, last August, I had a small little accident where I was buckling my daughter in her car seat. And um, I we had just gotten our truck, you know, months before and I wasn't used to it's not lifted or anything, but it's just like a typical diesel truck. It's just a few feet off the ground, you know, um, and I, I slipped off the step after I buckled her in and fell back and I dislocated my right shoulder. And um, when I did that, you know, I told my husband, I'm like, you know, I definitely dislocated it. Like, there's just no way I didn't. He takes me to the hospital. The doctor is like, once I get checked in, she's like, you definitely didn't dislocate it. If you dislocated it, you'd be freaking out right now. So I'm like, okay, well, definitely something's wrong because it feels, you know, awful. Sat there for six hours, got told I dislocated it after they did an x-ray. So they pop it back in. Well, by this time I had been sitting there with it dislocated for, you know, almost five hours and they're releasing me and I'm, I'm like, my hand is blue. My right hand was blue and I could not feel it. It felt like, you know, kind of tingly a little bit, but it was very numb. And I'm just like, this doesn't seem right. It was ice cold. So they're literally discharging me. The nurse is handing me my discharge papers and they had already popped it back in and everything. And I'm like, is this normal? Like my hand looks blue. And I told the doctor before that it was kind of looking like a little different, discolored. And she told me it was fine. It was just the way um, like you're handling pain or whatever. is like in shock or whatever. And she's like, no, that's like really discolored. Did you show someone? I'm like, I did hours ago, but she said it was fine. So she's like, I'm going to go get the other doctor. So another doctor came, looked at my hand. Within minutes, I have like six doctors in front of me on the phone trying to get me transferred. I'm like, what is going on? You guys were just releasing me. And now I'm like, you guys, I can hear you guys telling me I'm going to get transferred. He's like, we don't know for sure, but we're pretty sure you have a blood clot. Um, um, you've already been sitting here for this long. If we wait another over an hour, you could lose your arm. And I'm like, okay. I was like, can I at least go home and tuck my daughter in for bed? Cause she's freaking out. Cause she saw me fall out of the truck. And they're like, no, we don't have time for that. And I'm like, okay. So they transferred me to a, a different hospital. Um, and they had given me like a blood clot medicine at that hospital. And they were just watching it through um, an ultrasound and the clot dissolved. So thankfully I didn't need surgery and I didn't obviously lose my arm. Um, but then once they went through all the blood work and stuff, that was when I learned about the anti lipid syndrome. So basically they said that I have something and it's common with people with autoimmune issues that if you get injured or have some sort of pain, um, and this kind of coincides with my stroke actually. So we'll brush on that, but basically this was last year, August. So if, if you have pain, so I dislocated my shoulder Well, my blood vessels, I have something called spasmine blood vessels, which is common in people with, um, with autoimmune issues and nerve issues and um, basically with uh, fibromyalgia, just like nerve issues. Um, so my, my blood vessels started spasming, which um, it then caused a blood clot. And because I have um, antiphilosophlipid syndrome, it means that my blood clots way easier than the average person, which is also an autoimmune issue. Antiphilosophlipid syndrome is an autoimmune issue, but it's just rare. A lot of people don't, it's just not common. So anyway, um, the spasming blood vessels and then the antiphilosophlipid syndrome 
was just basically like a shit storm and caused me to have a, it's called a DVT, deep vein thrombosis in my arm. It's the main artery in your arm. So basically that artery, if the, if the blood clot travels, it could go into your car or cause a stroke or whatever. So they stopped that obviously before it happened, got put on blood thinners last year, August. And basically they just said, you have to be on blood, uh, one pill a day of blood thinner for the rest of your life. Okay. So fast forward to April, um, I'm supposed to be having a hysterectomy. And um, so they take me off my blood thinners leading up to the surgery. And I had woke up and I had had this pain in my right side, like near my um, uh, kid, like kidneys. And it was kind of in my back, you know, and woke up and it was about like the fourth day and I had been off, mind you, I'd been off my blood thinners that about that long. So I was supposed to be off of them for like a week or something leading up to surgery. And the fourth day I can barely stand. Like I'm walking down the house, like holding my side and my husband's like, is it that bad? And I'm like, it's pretty bad today. You know, it kind of hurt to take a deep breath. And he's like, we're taking you in. We just don't want to risk it. You've got so much stuff going on. Um, you know, we're taking you in. And so I went in and I tried telling him, no, of course. I'm like, no, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. I've, I'm always like that. He always ends up taking me in anyways, which obviously I'm grateful for. <laughs> but um, he is like, no, you're going in. Um, I go in and, you know, got a urine sample. And they're like, you have, there's no way you don't. We're going to, you know, do a scan or whatever. But you have so much blood in your urine that we think you're having kidney stones. So I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Because by that time I had started vomiting in the ER. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like I've heard that you can vomit from the pain from that. So I'm waiting to go get a scan. And the lady comes and takes me back, the uh, radiologist tech or whatever. And she's like, okay, I just have to clean this room, but wait in this waiting room. And I'll come and get you to do the scan to just confirm that you're having, you know, kidney stones. So I get put in this room and the lights are kind of turned down. You can tell like not a ton of people go in that part of the hospital. And I can hear nurses in the hallway around the corner, um, like typing on their computer, uh, like charting. And I could hear like a couple of voices because they were talking amongst each other. And so I'm sitting in this room, the lights are dimmed and I'm in there. There's probably uh, eight, you know, eight uh, chairs in this little waiting room. And I'm just in there all by myself, totally fine. And then suddenly within, you know, a minute or two of sitting there, I just feel um, almost like pressure, but like hot or warm water kind of feeling of like this pressure running down the side of my body, my left side. And a kind of feeling like heaviness, but just feeling that feeling. And I just I remember touching my arm you know like what the heck and I couldn't lift my hand and I couldn't move my fingers and I was just like what in the world is happening and I just knew something was wrong so I went to go like get the attention of um and I felt really tired and weak suddenly and I went to go get the attention of the nurses who were in the hall and so I went to go yell like say excuse me um and all that came out was like I was like literally choking on my words and so then I was just like, I knew, like, I knew something was, you know, obviously a lot, uh, see it more serious because I couldn't talk and I wanted to, I knew what I wanted to say. I knew it, like, it was all there, but it just wasn't coming out. It was like word vomit. 
So then I um, was only a few feet away from like the doorway where I could hear them talking. So I kind of hopped along the side of the wall to keep me up. And I was like, started banging on it and poked my head out. And as soon as the nurses saw me, they started yelling stroke. And this alarm in the hospital started going off. I mean, within a minute, I had probably 50 plus people between nurses and doctors all in the room. I had people, you know, asking me, what's your name? And I'm, I'm trying to answer them. I'm trying, I know what I wanna say, but it just wasn't coming out properly. And I could tell, I was like, I, I could feel like tears coming down my, the side of my face because I was just scared. Like, it was just like this really, I felt kind of like I was peeing myself. Like I felt really a lot of warmth, you know, but it was just that feeling of warmth going down the side of my body. Um, I just like, yeah, it was just so crazy. So then the tech comes and she's like, what's going on here? This is my patient. I was getting her scanned for her stomach. And they're like, no, you know, you need to do a head scan. So they did a head scan, saw the clot. Within a minute, I could hear them saying, yeah, she has a brain clot. We need to get her metaphylated. And then they put me back in the scan just to confirm that I was having kidney stones. And they confirmed that too. So I think it was a mix of me being off of my blood thinners, the, me having kidney stones and the pain from it, obviously causing some sort of, you know, spasming or something to cause a blood clot. So I think it was just, again, a shit storm. I bad luck of having all that stuff needing, you know, happening all at once. But, um, but yeah, so got metaphylated. They had given me a medicine, um, is it TITPI or T? I forget what it is, um, but it's a basically a medicine that they give. Um, you can only get it within like a, a period of time in between um, the clot starting. And so you only have like an hour or two to get this for you to be um, able to get this medicine. So thankfully I was having the stroke at the hospital. I was already there and they gave me the medicine. So by the time they metaphylated me to the stroke center um, in Carmichael, I, uh, the, the, they did a scan right when I got wheeled into the hospital, did a scan and it had already dissolved. So didn't need, you know, brain surgery, thank God. Um, and yeah. Uh, just spent, you know, five days in the ICU. Um, I, the day that they took me out of the ICU, it was because I was finally able to swallow something because, you know, you can't swallow, you choke on things um, after a stroke because nothing really works properly. So a lot of people don't know that. I didn't know that. I, I didn't realize it. So I didn't eat for a while because I couldn't eat anything. Um, so, uh, so that was when they finally took me out. They considered me to be stable once I was able to swallow. So I, I think I swallowed an ice cube without choking on it. And so they put me down to like the general stay. Um, but yeah. How do you reconcile your faith through all these things? Like, I mean, listen, if, if, if 99% of the, the, the world went through 10% of what you went through, they would be like, I mean, I'm, sh I'm, I'm pushing this off or, or maybe have a negative attitude. And it was one of the, the, the things that blew my mind. I heard your story, but I, didn't, I haven't heard all that. But when you come around you, there's this light shining. And it's like you constantly want to give to other people. And you're constantly wanting to pour into other people the joy in your daughter. I got a chance to be able to hang with her backstage, and she still never got the down low. I got up high and down low, and she never got it. I won. I beat her. 
But she was doing that for to people at the airport after you were doing that with her. She was like tricking people. I <laughs> loved it. Was it. So funny. But and yeah. to see the joy and even see the joy and the light in your face today, and it's like you can't fake that kind of stuff. Help us to understand. Like take us down that road. Like. How does one reconcile? Because some people are like, I lost my job. Forget God, I'm out. And you're like, you know, I mean, there, there's, I, I listed off a bunch of things. Then you were like, oh, yeah, and this. Oh, yeah, and this. Oh, and then I had a stroke. But I was thankful that I was at the hospital when I had the stroke. Most people are like, no, I had a stroke. Like, but your, yeah. your demeanor, like, how, how do you reconcile this with God? Well, there's the saying, God only gives you what you can handle and you can only handle a little bit more. So please no, please no more. <laughs> There's there, that, that, that the last pen's about to pop. No. Um, I, it is true though. It's just like, obviously I'm still here for a reason. And, um, so I, I don't know. I really don't know because Well, we're going to get emotional. You already talked about, I mean, hell, like everybody that's <laughs> listening to you right now is emotional anyway. So let's go this way. If God's in the room right now, okay, he mm-hmm. walks into the room. I don't know what he looks like to you, but I, I've got a vision of what he looks like to me. He's just, he's pretty funny. Like I said, he smacks me all the time. You know, it, mm-hmm. I actually, it looks a lot like my dad, like my pop, like my pop is like, boy, you need to, <laughs> you know, you need to shape up, you know? And he has God to me that has that type of voice too. Like, boy, what are you doing? You know what I mean? So whatever God looks like to you and he Mm -hmm. rolls into the room, right? Mm -hmm. He actually pops on this podcast and he goes right in between because he would be the the center of attention. Mm -hmm. And he sits down with you, looks you dead in your eyes and says, Chelsea, I've got three minutes. You could ask me anything. What would you ask him? Man, Kelly, you're putting me on the spot. I would ask him that, you know, I'd ask him, I don't don't think I'd ask him why, because obviously I'll learn that later. And, um, you know, it's not fair to ask why things happen to you. They just do and their lessons and, you know, you have to take from that and grow from it. So I wouldn't ask him why, but I would ask him that if anything were to happen to me where God thought it was my time to go, that he would just, you know, help Miles and help guide him through that. I would ask him, you know, please guide miles into the right direction and into another woman's hands that would take care of him and and joey you know as well as i would and love them as much as i would have um and i would ask that um just you know i have such a hard that's so hard i would ask that Joey would just be able to see life maybe the way I did. Um, to give him, give her that gift to see it like as a gift 
is it because it is it really is a gift um and i think that's maybe why i'm not so uh pessimistic about things that have happened to me because of the way i view life um and i think i didn't really view life as i have until i started getting sick until i have had really bad things happen and then i realized that my good days like treasure those treasure those good days like today's a good day yesterday was a really good day i felt really good yesterday like these are the days that i'm just so grateful for and um and the days that i'm not uh feeling super great don't want to like just be bummed and sad about those days because you know that's not gonna get me anywhere it's not gonna help me feel better or being more bummed and sad about it if anything it's just gonna bum other people out around me um so just lay there on those days that are super crummy and just look forward to the better ones you know um and i would just think i think i would just ask god to ha have joey see life like that to just be grateful for you know I, I I said it in that video with mob when they asked me to make that video and to like sit and truly take a deep breath is like think about that like just to take a deep breath and like live is just kind of crazy uh I I read something that um what was it? It was, I wish I, you know what, we'd, we're going to have to do another podcast just so that I can talk about this. Cause it's, I think it's really important for people to hear, but it, it's like what it was one in something billion chances of you to be conceived are the, like, that's, it was like something like that. Like you, cause there's so many eggs in an ovary and like thousands and thousands and thousands of hundreds of thousands of eggs. So you to be conceived is like one in a billion something because it has to be the right time, the right temperature and things like that. So the fact that you were conceived, so the fact that I'm sitting here, I mean, it's mind blowing if you really, really dig deep into that and think about that. So I'm here for a reason, you know, I'm here because God wanted me to be here. My daughter is here. He chose her for us for a reason. And so like, 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 don't just, um, don't abuse that life. Don't like take advantage of it, you know, take advantage of the gift that God, and it sounds so cliche and it sounds so stupid. And I feel like some people are probably going to be like, oh my gosh, like live, laugh, love, you know, but seriously, like just, um, take advantage of it of the, every single day, every single day really truly is a gift. Um, and I think, until you go through something like maybe I went through, you won't really, really, truly realize that. But it's true. Um, and it's so sad that it did take my health to decline for me to see it in that light. But that's just the way I think it is for some people. It does take um, something traumatic to happen before you really, truly see life as a gift. But um, yeah, I mean, there's really bad things going on around our town right now. We have like a serial killer and um, we just, just a town over in Merced, we just had a family get kidnapped and murdered. They just found, like, there's just really scary, evil things going on right around us. And it's making me, even just yesterday reading the article where they found the family that had been kidnapped, just, it's just really, truly making me even more grateful 
for the fact that I just have to deal with a couple of diseases. Like, um, yeah, they're not, uh, they're never going to be curable uh, until, you know, scientists figure out a cure, um, but they're manageable and yeah, feel crummy sometimes, but I, you know, I'm grateful for just being here and being able to wake up every single day next to my husband and my daughter. Just like, oh, thank God for that, you know? So um, just, I think more gratitude, more gratefulness around the world could help out a lot if people just really, really realized that they're really supposed to be here. There's a reason for you, each and every one of you to be here. I don't know why. I don't know why I got chosen to be here. Um, but we did. And so just take a, take advantage of that. You know, don't take it for granted. I think that would be maybe the best way that I can describe my, uh, my attitude towards life. Well, if you're, if you're listening out there and I know that there are, there's a guy named Mike Berkowitz, Mike Berkowitz, you know who you are and you will have listened to this because I will force you to, and I'm going to text this episode to you (laughs) if you haven't listened to the whole thing and I'm going to make you listen to this whole thing. But if you are out there and you're in the medical community or you have a family member in the medical community and you have any information or you have any, um, any way uh, or connection point, which I have some of the coolest friends in the world, Chelsea, and there's some people out there. I know that there's some people out there listening right now that understand or maybe have been doing research or have medication on anti-philosophlipid Um, and what all the different things that Chelsea is going through. And I would ask that you reach out. I would ask that you talk to your friend who happens to have a friend who is married to a doctor, who is married to a, a, a scientist, who is working on this exactly. And I believe that something, something is going to happen. The other thing, which I, I, I never done, I've never done this on the podcast ever, um, there's some people out there too that that can make a, an immense amount of difference. And when Chelsea was talking about her and her husband and her and her daughter needing to live in a warmer place, there is ways and there is people that can make that happen and that can help to be able to make that happen. Um, again, I, I've never. I, honestly, we have, this is episode 219 and never in 219 episodes have I ever even, I don't ask for anything. Um, and even in this, I'm just asking that you connect a person who connects a person who connects a person. Michael Berkowitz, you know who you are. Um, I'm going to send this to you, man. And I'm going to send it to you until you listen to the whole thing. Um, because I think that you can make a difference, but, um, Chelsea, it's 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 mind blowing. We have to. I want to have you on this show more and more. Um, I would because, love to. Yeah. Well, because I think that there's so many people out there that I mean, and can you talk to them that you know? And I'm not trivializing any challenges that a person is having, but there is a person right. today that is like, I cannot believe my barista at Starbucks gave me the wrong tea when I have been going there for 10 years. I can't believe that I was posting on Instagram today and I only got 200 views when I used to get 10,000. Right. I am so stressed out 
because my car payment is due and I am challenged. Not to say that that's not a big deal because it's a big deal to you, but can you talk to that person right now about the yeah. being able to cherish this moment and every single moment as you move forward? And I try and tell my daughter, um, I, first of all, yes, um, reach out. I, I say all the time on my Instagram, um, I put my phone number up there, reach out. I've had so many people reach out. I'm like, don't even give me your name. Just tell me what the problem is. I am not a professional, but I will just try and give you the best. I'll be a shoulder for you to you know, cry on. I'll um, be somebody that you can vent to if you don't feel like you have anybody. And I have, I've had lots of people at like in the middle of the night, I've had people text me and be like, I'm really struggling tonight. And it would just be nice. And I'm like, don't even tell me your name. Just tell me what the problem is or if you want to. Um, and I've had people. So, yeah, I want to be that person. Um, oh, God, I would I would love to, like, start something, like an actual thing so that people would be able to have, like, a hotline or something to reach out to me. Just And it just sounds so crazy because I'm not, like, a professional or anything. But I just want to be that person because there are so many people who don't have those people in their lives where they feel confident enough to share that kind of stuff or to really open up um, about their feelings. And um, there's a lot of parents out there. It's really sad, but don't believe in mental health. And that to me, um, that's hard because mental health is a very dark place when, when you can, when you get into those places and you need people to pull you out of them, you need that support. So let me be that support for you. Um, like I said, no name. It can be completely discreet. Just let me help. Um, and then from there, what was the other thing? I'm sorry. That just got okay. so sidetracked. But it's okay. What, uh, what, I, what I was saying is like you talk to talk to the person who is having this. This is a tough thing. And I remember joking with it with you about a hero because I was like how I, I, guys everyone out there listening I had to come after Chelsea so Chelsea came on stage and everyone's connected with her they've got the video they I mean it touches everyone's heart everybody's crying she walks up boom 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 she's got her daughter her husband I mean she's like Mother Teresa she's loving on people telling people that you know they need to you know cherish the moment and then here's like I come like how do you follow that right <laughs> and and what I was thinking afterwards because there were some things like I was like man because I tried to get a flight right after actually right before we went on I tried mm -hmm. to get a flight and I couldn't get the flight and I was mad at the Southwest lady and I was like how dare you? I've been with Southwest like, you know, 20 some odd years. I do so much business with you. You need to make an exception for me. And then I get off the phone and she's like, nope, nope, nope. And I was so mad. I was so angry. And then I heard your story and I was like, I am mad over a flight. Mm -hmm. can, you can you talk to the people out there and help them? And it's not you shouting at them, but helping them to see some perspective that honestly, like, to be thankful for just air in their lungs. Well, even like I, I mean, I know I've been through a lot and stuff, but I constantly think about like third world problems, you know, like, like really, really tough, tough, tough challenges. Like, like, could you imagine not having clean water to drink every day or just like the simple things, just simple things. And, 
So when you have those simple things, just like be grateful for it. You have lights on in your house. Wow. That's amazing. You know, just like just the simple things, because there's so many hundreds and hundreds and billions of thousands of people who don't have the luxury to even have a pillow or to have a blanket or to even have a freaking bed. Like, so when you have those simple things, yeah, I mean, maybe you'll take a sip of that coffee that maybe didn't taste that great, but just be a little bit more thankful for it that you even have one at all, you know, just, um, just put yourself in other people's shoes. And, um, I feel like egos are a huge thing. My husband still has, you know, I, I call him out on it completely. And I think that's one reason why my husband and I are together. I think God put us together because of this, because I definitely balance him out. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes he's, I'm just like, who do you think you are? Like, who are you? Who do you like? even like a celebrity, I would say this too. Like, who do you think you are? Like, why do you get to talk to people like that? Or why do you get a, what makes you so special that, you know, like we're all here for a reason. We were all chosen to be here. And, um, that in itself, it should be just, we're all, we should all just be like this even, you know, no one should be higher or lower. And, you know, and so, um, I just think the egos need to be tucked away in a very deep place. <laughs> well, I think if any of you need your ego check, just speak after Chelsea goes on stage and your ego will be right in line. Mine was right in line. I was, you know, I was excited. I was ready to get them. And then I saw Chelsea. I was like, man, this sucks. Like I wanted to leave because it's, I mean, you are so powerful just as a, as a person and as an individual, as a mom, as a wife. And I see the way that your husband looks at you. God, I mean, it's just so incredible. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, and I love the fact that you were saying like, it's not perfect, right? We're not living some Instagram life. And for all of you who are, you know, I'm living my best life. No, you're not. No, you're not. You, I mean, there are things that you get mad at and you're sad and you have these challenges. And I wish that more people would be like you, uh, Chelsea, and show the real side of who they are. Um, let me uh, let me ask you this. Um, so you're you're on. Uh, I mean, this. I don't even know if I can ask this question because, like, I see ask. you smiling, right? But I want to go to this place. Okay. I got a chance to spend the last couple of days with my pop. He uh, passed away December 19th, right? December 19th last year. And I got to spend a, a couple of uh, the last couple of days with him. Um, I wasn't there when he actually passed, but I was there probably three days, three, four days before he passed. And I just got to chat with him. He told me about cars. He told me about one car because he would always talk about cars. He told me about cars that he had never. But there was a couple of things that he told me. He said, son, I'll always be with you. Like I will always because I said, pop, I'm going to miss you, man. I'm going to miss you, dude. Mm-hmm. Like you're my guy. And he's like, son, I'll always be with you. I'll walk with you every single day. And, you know, it was, it, it was massive. And the things that he let me know of, um, he also uh, let me know not to wish him back. Don't wish me back. Like when I go, I'm ready. And I'm going to be on Streets of Gold, you know, dancing with sweet baby Jesus and uh, dancing with your mama. That's where she's at. And she's waiting on me. So please don't wish me back, boy. That's how he was like, don't wish me back, boy. Mm-hmm. let's put Chelsea in that bed. Okay. Let's put Joey and, and your husband, what's your husband's name? Miles. Miles. They're in the room. Okay. You got three things to tell them and then you're going to dance on streets of gold. And once you say the three things, you're done. What do you say to him? 
I'll love you forever. No matter what, no matter where I be. And I'm sorry, we're having housework done. They're on the side of the house now. So I don't know if you can hear that banging. Um, and um, probably, yeah, just same thing. Like, know that I'll be right with you no matter what, always. In your dreams, that's me coming to visit. And um, third thing would be uh, Kelly, you really put me on the spot with these questions. These are good ones. These are things that I've never thought about, which is, I should, you know, should. Um, And I think I would just tell them how much, how much they mean to me truly and how much of an impact they have had on my entire life. You know, um, I would just, just really make it known to them before I, before I went, that, uh, that they made everything for me. I mean, this is as close to heaven as I could be, um, just being, being able to live with them and be with them and um, spend my life with them. And the fact that God chose me to be Joey's mother is just, wow, that's amazing. So it's like a gift from God, truly. So I would just really make that known. Let me, I, I want to I tell you, no, no, Can don't you even worry me? about it. Don't even worry okay. about it. Because what I want the listeners out there to understand is this is exactly like what life is right? We're in this place. We set up and the lights are there and the hair is there and the makeup is there. And then there's construction going on in our life. There's things that are happening. There's diseases that happen. There's circumstances that happen. And I'm not going to ask you to, to mute this because I want people to understand that that banging is happening in every single person's life. And it's not in you stopping the banging because that will always be happening. It's the way in which you react and the way that you reacted in your life, Chelsea, is such an inspiration to all of us. And so I, I want every single person out there, when that banging comes back, which it's going to come back in a couple of seconds because I know the pattern. Every time that you listen to this, and I'll, I'll, I want to clip this out because I want people to know that that banging in your life that you're not alone that you are not alone in that construction is happening and things that you don't expect are happening, but it's the way in which you react to them. I started the podcast because of people like you. And Chelsea, I started the podcast because I wanted to take iconic people like yourself and I wanted to take and show people that iconic people like yourself were not superheroes. And I wanted to show that to my kids, Maddox and McKenna, at 11 years old and 13 years old, that it wasn't the circumstances that happened in their life. There was the way in which they reacted to them, and it was the attitude that they took into it during all of the construction that was happening in their life. So what advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna, and if you could say both of their names, and I don't mind that the guys, when you're hearing this, boom, 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 boom. Tell me if you're a mother and you're hearing boom, 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 and then your husband is saying, I need you to go out to dinner, but you're hearing boom, 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 boom. Then your kids need to go to soccer and you're hearing boom, 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 boom. That's the way life is. What advice would yeah. you have 
for Maddox and McKenna. And if you could use both of their names, it would be awesome. Sure. Maddox and McKenna, I would just tell you to pray. Pray through all the hardest times that you're going through. Lean on the people, your dad and your mom. Lean on the people that love you the most to get you through the hardest times of your life. And be open. Don't be a closed door. You need to open up about everything and be honest with them and with yourselves and how you're feeling. And also know that whatever you're feeling is completely valid. If you wake up and you're having a bad, crummy day, like know that sometimes there's no reason for it, but it's okay to feel that. Like um, just because you're not dealt like the worst cards and you, you know, you might be you might have everything that you uh, you need and you're taking care of and everything. If you wake up grumpy, guess what? You're human. Like be human. Just be able to feel your feelings and talk about it. And um, the biggest thing is just not treating people bad just because maybe you're having a bad day. Don't take it out on other people. Maybe what can turn that bad day around is, you know, you wake up crummy and feeling super grumpy about something that you just don't even know what what it is you can't pinpoint it go do something good for somebody else and maybe that will cheer you up you know um there's just so many ways that you can navigate through those emotions and those feelings that kind of can turn it around and um, maybe make your perspective a little brighter um and i'd say yeah just don't be the, don't be pessimistic don't look on the, the dark side of things because that will just make you more that'll make you feel worse you know it'll make everything a lot more negative so just try and look on the bright side on everything um like for example this house we bought it in december i had my stroke in april we bought it thinking okay we're going to remodel it tore all, all the walls down inside we had this budget this beautiful budget and then my stroke happened and hospital bills and this and that and it's like now we're slowly doing things. Um, my husband's done the majority of things just to save us money, but things definitely didn't happen as planned. <laughs> this all should have been done by now. And yet I still have a kitchen that we have fold-up tables I'm cooking in on uh, Instapot and uh, one of the camping stovetops because that's just the way it is. And everyone keeps asking me, are you mad like that you don't have the kitchen? have something like I can still make food we have dinner every night we're not eating out we're saving money and I could I make it work like I'm thankful that I at least have that you know I'm thankful we have a roof over our heads I'm thankful my family's together under one roof and that we get a wind down in our almost almost done living room um guess what we have a comfortable couch we get a cuddle on and I'm thankful um no our house isn't done yet and I know a lot of wives would be throwing a huge fit um but there's a lot more fish to fry in the world and this is just a very small tadpole that we're going through so um we're gonna look back 20 my biggest thing too is i tell people and maddox and mckenna if you're not going to be mad about it tomorrow don't stress about it for longer than a minute if you're not going to be mad about it next week don't stress about it longer than a minute there are fights, and I think this is, you know, I definitely pick my fights with my husband. You know, everybody has fights. We're married, and we live together, and we're best friends, but also we can dislike each other at times. 
but I just pick my battles. And that, that, that saying is so, so important. I think for especially new married couples and new couples to begin with, um, you know, ones that matter for sure that are going to change our future future. Those are the ones that matter. But I'm mad because he threw his clothes on the floor and not put them in the hamper. I mean, I see those videos and yeah, they're kind of funny or whatever on TikTok of watching the things my husband does and they put the bowl next to the sink and not actually in the sink or they don't take out the trash or they use the last of the toilet paper. That's what it, it, yeah, it could take him two seconds to change the toilet paper roll, but it also could take me two seconds to change it too. It's like, there's things you don't want to take advantage of your spouse for sure, but also pick your battles. Like there are such bigger things that you could complain about. Your husband could be off cheating on you and, you know, doing crazy things and you're whining because they left their underwear on the floor. Just things like that. Like just pick your battles. I know sometimes it's a joke, but um, a lot of people get really upset about that kind of the small stuff and are like, I know a lot of wives who, you know, I don't like it when my husband chews tobacco or things like that. You know, it's like, okay, I want my husband to be healthy too. But at the same time, my husband is his own person. He's an adult. He can make his own decisions. And although I would like to encourage him to maybe do the better things, I'm not going to be sitting there with my arms crossed like, you can't kiss me if you're chewing that. You know, like, yeah, it's not going to be the best kiss in the world, but I still want you to kiss me because you never know when that last kiss is going to be. So it's just the don't control your spouse. Don't like they're their own person. Let them make their own decisions. Yes, maybe encourage them to do the healthier thing. But don't throw a fit and make it the end of the world if they don't, you know? Chelsea, you are an absolute angel. I mean, it has been ab- uh, uh, an incredible pleasure to be able to have you on the show. Uh, I'm glad Thank to you. I'm glad to be able to have this conversation, too, because, like, I'm going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life, you and your husband, and especially, <laughs> and, and with Joey, I'm going to like her more than I like all of you guys. Um, I will never <laughs> speak behind you again. I will never go after you. I will always go before um, because I, that is, I mean, you make everyone else feel good, but you, you straight put me in my place that, that night. So, um, <laughs> I, I appreciate you and, and we want to have you on more. Um, it, like, I, like I was saying, this is, the, this is my message to all of you. Um, if you do know any doctors, you do know any scientists, you do know anyone who has, you know, in the, uh, any anything about the things that that Chelsea was talking about I want you to make sure that you reach out to her another thing that I think that uh, each and every one of you if you guys notice it's right up here it's called Raven Drum that is Rick Allen uh, the drummer from Def Leppard that is his uh, foundation him and his wife Lauren Monroe they do drum circles for mental health and I got a chance to be a part of it now they're a a principal sponsor of the podcast Um, I got to grow up on Def Leppard's uh, uh, music and now uh, we get to have not only Rick on the show, but we get to have Lauren. And I believe that at some point we want to get Chelsea into one of those drum circles because I think it can make a massive, massive difference. You're making a difference in this world, Chelsea. And I, I want to thank you again. You are incredible and you are officially off the hot seat.